voices It's up to you and me To shine a guiding light and lead the way United by our cause We have the power to pursue what we believe We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello once again and welcome to this week's episode of New Horizons. This week we return to our series on people with multiple disabilities. Specifically this week we speak with Jane Britt, who's National Policy Officer with Blind Citizens Australia. We're not only focusing on Blind Citizens Australia staff members. In fact, next week we've got uh, another double episode with uh, two Blind Citizens Australia members who are well known to all of you, I'm sure. Now, though, let's hear from Jane. This series is featuring people with multiple disabilities. And I don't know whether last time we spoke, we talked about the fact that uh, not only are you vision impaired, but uh, you also have a hearing impairment. Do you want to give us some uh, some detail? Yeah, sure. So I've been both vision and hearing impaired since birth. I'm totally blind in my right eye. Um, my left eye has bit of vision I can see to a few metres in front before it drops off. Um, I'm totally deaf in my left ear and have some mild hearing loss in my right ear. Uh, So I've had all of that um, since I was a baby. And do they know why or is it just one of those things? Yeah, it's a rubella related. Um, I'm a rubella baby. Okay. We spoke recently (laughs) with Ricky Chaplin who uh, has a fairly significant hearing impairment which he acquired recently uh, from, from Norrie's. You having had yours from birth, how did you find having a hearing disability as well as a visual disability impacted on you, in particularly in your early childhood? Yes, I was about to say that. Uh, particularly, it was noticeable in my early years. So, for example, my uh, learning to speak took a lot longer than what um, would be normally expected, uh, just because I had the hearing impairment and had to go to a speech therapist in order to be able to learn how to make the sounds that I wasn't completely hearing uh, in general dialogue. Um, The vision impairment also, you know, caused a bit of a delay with some of those um, milestones. So everything I worked with an occupational therapist, I worked with a physiotherapist, I did all of those things to catch up. But I think um, ultimately, because it wasn't just my vision that was, um, you know, lost, it was also my hearing that everything took just a little bit longer. What it really means is that you would have spent an awful awful lot of time in your early years working with professionals and what have you and doing things that other children wouldn't have to do. How do you think that impacted on your relationships as a, as a young child? Yeah, um, I think that I sort of didn't realise that it was something that was unique until I got probably into my teens um, and retrospectively speaking with other peers about their childhoods and realising, oh, mine was actually quite different. Um, It was probably most noticeable in my household. I have two older sisters who are both fully sighted and fully hearing and um, realising as I grew up that I was a bit different to them, um, that things were, you know, when we would go out, say, into busy places or into restaurants that I would find following the conversation or, you know, seeing things that they were looking at in the sky um, that I couldn't do it like they could. Uh, So it probably wasn't until my teens that I really identified that I was different to people around me. Did you find that your um, education suffered when you were at school as a result of things, for example, like uh, having to spend time outside class or, or had you done most of your um, extracurricular activities, I suppose, by that time? I had. And I also um, 
I guess I'm fortunate in that I have an aptitude for learning and I have a quite strong memorization ability, um, which is uh, photographic type memory. So I was very lucky that it sort of um, acted as a bit of a buffer for some of the issues I had in the classroom. Um, probably the thing that I did find the most challenging was having uh, reasonable adjustments made. When I was in primary school, uh, it was much easier to have those accommodations made but as I moved into high school and they got more complex I had some teachers that would be great with accommodations and do everything but I also found that some uh, didn't do the things that I needed like enlarging papers to A3 or you know making font size 16 with good contrast and therefore I was engaging in a lot of self-directed learning in my own time to um, create the materials I needed and then catch up to what the rest of my peers had done in the classroom that day. How interesting that you mention uh, memorization. I think as uh, as vision impaired people particularly it's something that a lot of us uh, are very good at. Uh, I particularly have a, a very strong memory for things that I hear in conversations and I can often repeat conversations back word for word years later and I think um, you know prior to mobile phones and things like that we all remembered phone numbers and, and uh, things like that. And it really does set you in good stead in many ways for, for learning. But uh, I guess the temptation is, and certainly I, I fell foul of this temptation, is to rely on my memory and therefore not really do all of the work to uh, to make sure that I got a decent education. I'm pleased to see that you didn't fall for that one. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, I really did love learning. Um, I had quite a positive relationship with school. I, I loved everything about it. What about your relationships with friends and what have you as you uh, sort of went through high school and into university? Did you find yeah. that um, having a dual disability impacted on that? Yeah, it definitely has. And what was quite interesting, um, probably in my earlier, like when I was younger, my friends were very protective around my vision loss. And for example, if we had to do any sports activities, they would be very quick to speak up if they felt that the situation was getting um you know, too rough for me to deal with with my vision loss. <laughs> so they would be the ones going to the teacher and saying, oh, should Jane perhaps be doing this or maybe there might be something safer that she can do. Um, as I've got into my, you know, later years, so particularly at university, I found that what was really hard was uh, going out into group settings. So, for example, going out with a group to a restaurant or going out to a nightclub, for example, in my 20s where... My hearing loss particularly played a really major factor in the fact I couldn't follow the conversations and I would get really anxious in these social settings. But it was only um, a long time down the track when I started to do more hearing testing that I realised that um, the anxiety was probably not a, as a result of being shy or reserved or anything that I'd previously thought about my personality. It was probably because I just simply couldn't hear. So do you think perhaps you didn't really understand your hearing loss until much later in life? Exactly. And I acquired hearing aids about two years ago and I had been told as a child that it would be too disruptive having grown up with natural hearing for me to have hearing aids implemented. But the technology has changed a lot over the years and now they thought that it might be an option for me. So I trialled them and I couldn't believe how much I had actually been missing. Uh, and how much I didn't know about the world around me. For example, things like when I got into a taxi and found out that the car has an indicator noise that I had never known about <laughs> until I had hearing aids. 
It's interesting that they took that approach when given that uh, you have a vision impairment, I'm sure they didn't say, well, look, you've got some vision, so we're not going to give you any glasses. Yes, exactly. So I think they were just um, worried that it would be too disturbing as someone who had grown up with that bit of natural sound into my right ear. Mm. Um, but it, it certainly has made a great difference and I would recommend anyone who um, hasn't gone down that path of maybe investigating what could help um, because it's certainly made a difference to me. What sort of requirements do you have these days, in, particularly in your work and your relationships um, in, in dealing with your vision loss and, and your hearing loss? Have you, have you had a lot of trouble getting those requirements met? Uh, well, what I've found in my workplace, it's been quite easy. So I have everything um, on my computer enlarged by the use of a magnification technology, ZoomText, and that works quite well for me. And I'm able to mostly print out things in the font size I need if I, if I need it in actual hard copy. Uh, otherwise, I've found that with relationships, it's a matter of really educating other people about um, the fact that I can't see in one eye or hear in one ear, I often get um, that muddled up, uh, that, you know, I need them to be on certain sides of me when I have conversations. So, for example, we're walking down the street, I'll often put the person on the other side of me just so I can hear them. And um, also being mindful of, say, if I do go into a restaurant setting, that uh, my friends are now often aware to offer me which seat I would prefer to be able to converse most easily and see as well. Um, because it's the opposite sides, I always have to be quite mindful of where I am in any situation. Yes, it's particularly interesting given that you've got hearing in one ear and not the other because uh, in, in Ricky's case, my understanding is that because his hearing is fairly level, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference um, where he sits. But for you uh, and for me, because I've got a significant hearing loss in one ear as well, it, it really is important to make sure you sit at the right place. And that's not always where you'd expect it to be. Yeah, exactly. And I also I didn't realise until I got my hearing aids. At the same time, they did some testing with me to see about um, my ability of lip reading. And we discovered at that time that I do lip read quite significantly because as soon as they took away the ability for me to see their lips moving while they were talking, I got all the sentences wrong. So um, it's not just a matter of being able to hear, it's a matter of being able to see the person as well as they're communicating to me. And what's the prognosis for the future? Are you looking at degradation in vision or hearing or both? My hearing uh, remains stable, but I have a prognosis of um, degradation of my vision loss because I have glaucoma and it's quite advanced at this stage. Mm. What plans are you putting in place to deal with that when it happens? Yeah, so what I have done so far is I've learnt Braille. Um, I'm by no means fluent, but I want to get to a place of fluency because the idea um, to me of not being able to read a book is incomprehensible. I love reading and if I lost that ability, I just don't know how I would cope and I like educating. So for me, um, I think that's really important because knowledge is power and knowledge is, you know, um, being able to have a good life for yourself. Um, the other thing that I've done too is start to um, learn Ausland. Um, so until my vision goes, it's sort of a um, way of being able to bridge some of that gap of the hearing loss. So I feel more comfortable speaking in a way that I'm not relying completely on my hearing. Uh, again, it's I'm really early stages with that, but it's something that I'm keen to pursue um, a lot longer into the future. And I suppose, too, when you think about it, having a, a significant hearing impairment, using Braille uh, will potentially be the only way that uh, you'll be able to use a computer at some stage in the future. Yes, exactly. And um, for me, I've also, the other thing I should add that I have done is that 
Uh, for a lot of years, I didn't use a white cane um, until it sort of became, uh, I guess, me getting to terms with the identity aspect of that, of accepting that, yes, this is my vision loss, this is where I'm at right now, and yes, it's going to deteriorate. So I really do need to have some of these skills in place. That's the point at which I made the acceptance of using the cane full-time. Eventually, I'll probably move to having a guide dog um, just for company as much as the ability for me, my independence. But I really think that's important to have in place before I lose my vision. Mm. What would you like people to understand most about having a dual disability that uh, you know that you think that they really don't get on the face of it? Yeah, I think that um, because I've had it since birth, I um, am able to mask it somewhat so that the effect of it doesn't seem as significant as it actually is. Um, So, for example, the thing that I do on a daily basis, which is the hardest thing I do, is actually cross the road uh, because on one side I can't see the vehicle, on the other side I can't hear it. So, it's a really high alert situation for me and um, my safety is compromised even if I do have a cane that's helping somewhat. Uh, It's still a very challenging thing for me to do. And the thing I most want other people to understand is that um, there are significant challenges involved with having the dual disability and that just because you appear to cope in a situation at one time doesn't mean that that same situation won't present challenges at another time. Um, For example, like being in a restaurant and trying to keep up with the conversation, uh, it's still, that's something I also find particularly challenging. And it's also worth noting that not everybody who has the same um, set of disabilities is going to react and behave in the same way. Exactly. It's a spectrum and uh, that's something I wish the general public understood about vision loss in particular, that it's not all or nothing, that um, you can be anywhere along that spectrum. Jane Britt there, National Policy Officer with Blind Citizens Australia. Don't forget that Blind Citizens Australia has established an email list for people with a multiple disability. To join that list, you do need to be a BCA member and you do need to have multiple disabilities. So get in touch with the Blind Citizens Australia head office and they'll give you details on how you can get subscribed to that email list. Should you wish to get in touch with BCA, contact 1800 033 1800 033 Or you can email bca at bca.org.au. bca at bca.org.au. Do take care. I'll talk to you next week. We'll achieve the realization of a dream. Of our dream.